this is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Bubble Radio. This is RPBR episode 159, The Witcher Roleplaying Game uh, Breakdown. As we break down the new Witcher RPG uh, with a new uh, person, well, uh, fairly new for RPBR, uh, Burke. Say hi, Burke. Hey. Hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Burke was in... Uh, he's been in a couple of APs already, uh, the As Blossoms Falls, um, what else? Uh, well, some games that haven't been posted yet, uh, and we'll be, sure. yeah, uh, getting them in some more stuff in the future. Um, so, uh, anyways, Burke, uh, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, yeah, I'm super excited, and, uh, listen to As Blossoms Fall, if you <laughs> yes. haven't already, I'm serious. Uh, yeah. It's no, really, really good. It's a very entertaining game. Bridget ran an amazing scenario for us at Gen Con uh, with a unique uh, system and uh, something worth checking out. Um, First off, we do have a bit of news. Uh, Speaking of Gen Con, uh, I've decided it's a new extra reward. I'm improving, sort of expanding our early access system uh, on the RPPR Patreon to where all of our Gen Con material is going to be posted one panel or actual play per week. Uh, until all of it's posted, but each one of those is going to have 30 days of early access. Uh, so we have a number of panels. We have uh, Bridget has at least two other games. Thad recorded a game for us of Delta Green. Uh, so if you want to hear that, Thad, Thad was a player in that game. Uh, Shane Ivey actually ran it for uh, Delta Green uh, uh, backers. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, if you, it, uh, I'm going to put more stuff out in early access, uh, as a new, or, you know, to expand that $5 reward system. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, at Gen Con, again, speaking of Gen Con, uh, we, uh, picked up copies of the Witcher role-playing game. Uh, I did. I, st- um, I stood in line. I was one of those chumps that was there at <laughs> 10. Uh, um, uh, first day. Yep. And... I uh, picked it up. Well, I didn't pick it up. Actually, uh, Maddie, a friend of RPPR, did that for me. Thanks, Maddie. This is the first new game put up by our Talsorian Games uh, in quite some time. This is a collaboration with CD Projekt Red. Uh, and of course, if you aren't familiar, The Witcher is a series is also a series of video games uh, that CD Projekt Red has put out. Uh, very successful, especially, especially The Witcher 3. Um, and... Uh, this was, of course, originally based on a series of novels, fantasy novels, uh, originally written in Polish. Some of them have been translated into English, uh, but not yeah. all of them. There's uh, actually a lot. There's like seven. I didn't realize there were so many Witcher books until I <laughs> looked into it. Yeah, but. it's quite popular in uh, Poland. And, uh, of course, now there are also fan translations. Not all the novels have been officially translated, Mm -hmm. but I think all of them have been fan translated at least. Uh, so if you know where to look for those things, you can probably find it. Uh, but, uh, you know, (laughs) that, that would be wrong, I think. Um, so that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, so, um, before we get into the game mechanics, the game system itself, um, uh, to explain a little bit about the Witcher setting, if you're already familiar with it, um, then, well, I mean, you don't need to listen to this, but uh, <laughs> this couple of minutes. Uh, it's a dark fantasy um, setting. Uh, thematically, I would think it's closest to Warhammer fantasy in terms of theme mm-hmm. um, and sort of uh, content. It's a very European take on the sort of the the, the fantasy genre, which is that um things are often morally ambiguous uh things are dirty dark and 
nasty and violent. Um, there are very few true yeah, heroes. Yeah, a very grimy, grimy existence where mm-hmm. sort of wrong one wrong step is is sort of your doom, and uh, you're yeah uh, always always at risk of of making that wrong step, even if you uh, don't realize it. Yeah, a lot of times it's I would say it's very close in terms of its uh, themes to the noir genre. It's almost a fantasy noir in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of betrayal, mixed motives for characters, um, you know, a lot of yeah, yeah. love triangles, love and triangles, crime, politics, politics, um, yeah. lots and lots of politics, especially in the game. I mean, I don't have much experience with the books, but mm-hmm. I played Witcher three a lot. And yeah, it's a lot of you can just fail missions because you talk to the wrong person, and then the other people just hate you now, mm-hmm. and uh, all, all those sort of of uh, politicking. Um, but in, in terms of uh, like a lot of the things are going to be familiar to you if you've played even D and D because there's, there's mm-hmm. humans, elves, dwarves, gnomes, a lot of different monsters, uh, magic users, both uh, mages and priests. Um, but the the one the biggest thing that they bring that's unique to the the the, the genre is uh, the the uh, title name you know witchers. Um, right. Right. Um, witchers are essentially uh, also they have a bit of multi-dimensionalness um, the whole sort of ex- uh, inciting uh, incident into this uh, setting is what they call the conjunction of spheres where basically uh, it got a little Rick and Morty where their dimensional portals open up and dump a whole bunch of creatures and weird things onto this land originally there were only uh, the elder races the elves, dwar- dwarves and gnomes and then uh, suddenly, the all this sh- magical stuff appeared, including humans, uh, mm-hmm. and then, and of course, a shitload of monsters, and uh, things went downhill from there. Um, the humans took over; they became the majority uh, in controlling. Uh, although there are still elves, dwarves, gnomes uh, around, uh, and there's a shitload of monsters. Um, now, in order to fight the monsters, um, the humans created um, witchers. Uh, doesn't explain how they, in at least in the RPG, how they figured out how to make them, but they're essentially <laughs> humans turned into mutants, and this isn't really explained too well in the game either. Um, it's uh, uh, there's a quest that involves it, th- this kind of stuff, but it doesn't explain how they. Oh yeah, if we inject a human with all this shit, they become a mutant with cat's eyes and all this crazy they do powers. It. <laughs> Yeah, they do it a little bit like in the we'll get into this later, but in character creation, witchers mm-hmm. have their own chapter in the book that you have to go through for character creation. And it mm-hmm. talks a little bit about that. But yeah, I don't know how they decided to like, oh, let's just start kidnapping boys and pumping them full of weird magic until they are and emotionally humans. stunted, sterile no. uh, monster killing machines. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're, they're, the things they're, they're called mutagens and apparently you can get them from right, right. just monster guts and bits that you inject into people um so they have a they have a bunch of different little powers that they have and they're also trained hardcore to become you know elite katana wield well not katanas but basically (laughs) katanas Uh, it's basically katanas yeah uh swords in order to fight monsters you need special silver weapons in order to really hurt most monsters um and so they're the obviously the Mary Sue kind of protagonists. They're very tragic. They're also immortal. They are ageless. They don't they don't die of old age. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so yeah, so you can be a witcher if you want, uh, but you can also sure can. be a, a wizard uh, if you want, or you can be literally any other kind of person 
that you want, although... Yeah, so like you said, Warhammer tries to have the same idea of, oh, you can just be a doctor or just mm-hmm. a, crafts per- a craftsperson or a priest or a merchant. Not everybody has to be a fighter and a rogue and mm-hmm. a paladin. Um, so tries to have sort of that charm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you could balance a game for that because you could literally, you know, I'm a magic user. I can alter reality by saying some a few words. I'm a witcher. I'm a badass with some magic and awesome fighting <laughs> skills. And I can drink special potions that will kill anyone else. And I can do all this crazy stuff. I mean, like, I can... I can sing a song. I'm a bard. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's we can we can get into that later. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's. But um, I think that so basically in terms of the setting itself right now, there's a there's a period of war and strife going on. So things are bad all over, and the monsters which had been disappearing, and so people got rid of the witchers or persecuted the witchers, um, and so they're not making any more witchers. But you know they're ageless, so there's still some hanging around. Mm-hmm. And uh, monsters are coming back. So, oh God, we need people to kill the monsters. Uh, and that's kind of your setup. So there's not a lot about the setting. There's enough to explain what the setting's going on, but it doesn't really give you... A, unless you're f- already familiar with the games, it wouldn't really be enough in this tabletop role-playing game enough to really run a game unless you had a really strong idea of what you wanted to do anyway. Um, yeah. It doesn't get, like... This this it's technically self-sufficient or self-contained, but it really kind of assumes you're only playing this because you already know the setting. Uh, yeah, so like they set it up by saying, oh, you know, your games are typically a few months before the events of Witcher 3. But if you've never played Witcher 3, that doesn't mean anything yeah. to you. Like the looming hunt and the third war and all this stuff. Um, um, you would have to know that. Yeah, in fact, they do literally have a section in the in the book to explain like, well, you can set your RPG based on your tabletop RPG based on this on what you chose in the first two video games, and here's how to uh, navigate these choices. Here, if if Geralt, you know, uh, did this, then this is how this would affect the campaign setting. Um, so, yeah. Um, and yeah exactly yeah the mechanics of the game um we'll get into character creation in a bit uh but the base mechanic is uh roll a d10 add your stat and your skill uh together and then see if you beat a target number uh which Mm -hmm. is pretty simple for most simple tests you know uh and certainly your your attributes go up to 10 your skills so when you're starting out only go up to six so you can have up to a plus 16 on a thing if you want to be really good at one thing. Um, but, uh, and the target numbers seem pretty reasonable. Like an education check to figure out, remember what a magic weapon is, is like a 15. Um, mm. So it doesn't, but of course it, we're not getting into um, combat, which obviously gets a fairly complicated fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, we'll the game has a lot of subsystems that quickly mm-hmm. stack on itself. Um, if you try to play it as written. Yeah. Um, so. I guess before we get too much anything, what are, you, what are your overall impressions of it, uh, the game as a whole? Uh, I guess the thing that was most surprising to me, also unsurprising, is how much it's cyberpunk, basically, mm-hmm. but recoded to be Witcher. Um, the cyberpunk which is, system. I guess, yeah. yeah, sorry, Cyberpunk 2020, the, the system, um, which is understandable because 
then you don't have to like play test a new system, keeps development sort of in check. But at the same time, then it's kind of lacking a lot of the stuff that I, I think I want from a Witcher game and like what a licensed game should be. Um, notably that there's not really like explicit stuff about actually hunting monsters. Like you just sort of make a party of people in this dark fantasy world and then just sort of see what happens. There's less of like an impetus to investigate and hunt down monsters unless mm-hmm. the GM explicitly adds that. Yeah, there's nothing which, about like which which I kind of like in the sense that like you could just like I want to be a bunch of what if we set a game in you know a city and they're all just a bunch of thieves mm-hmm. or whatever. Of course, then you're like, why aren't we doing Blades in the Dark? Uh, but like, uh, if you if you want to do like if every, if you had a group of players who are all Witcher fans and they wanted to do something in that setting, this would be the game to do it. Um, I think um, I don't know, but. In terms of like grabbing, like what's the hook for this game is that it's the Witcher setting, and if that isn't mm-hmm. a super great hook for you, it's not. It's not. There's nothing else about the system is really going to grab you because it's a competent RPG. I think in terms of like it has all the bits you need to run a game. Um, yes, but it's I, that that almost feels like sort of like slight like Dungeons and Dragons can get away with that. But like, I don't feel, you know, because it's got the name. But uh, yeah, and you know, I think uh, maybe there are different design considerations when you're doing a licensed project mm-hmm. versus just if this game just existed in a void and there was no Witcher franchise, mm-hmm. and you just wanted to make a dark fantasy Warhammer-y sort of world, would it would it hook people? I think um, I think if this was an original uh setting with none of the video games um I don't think they I, I don't think it would be crafted this way because like I think the game would be restructured from because this is about like being in an existing setting and like not like you would have to mold the game the setting for a game about being a witcher like and mm-hmm. I feel like this game is not actually a really good well I mean I think it's it's perfectly fine uh but like the, the, it's almost a philosophical question. What does it mean to be a Witcher? Like, what it, what are the important things you would want to capture in a Witcher game? And, right. Um, this this sort of chose the where we're going to simulate the entire setting and do all the things that you can do in the video game, but in a tabletop game. So I feel like yeah. The 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 question is what the, is is philosophical almost at this point. Like, what should a Witcher game capture? And obviously we can, mm. um, and the question is, you know, do you want to capture what it is like to be a witcher or do you want to capture what it is like to be in that setting in which a witcher can be a part of it? Um, right. Like, is this uh, one person's story or is this an ensemble story? And like the problem, right. The, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Especially for a game that's sort of so defined by it's like strong, famous protagonist in Gerald that, um, do people just want to be a witcher? Do people just want to be Gerald and just romancing yeah. people and um, hitting monsters with silver swords? I think I think that, that certainly that would be a part of it, but I think part of it is also like the video games and the novels are set up around a solitary protagonist who is very much a lone wolf. Like he's literally comes from the school of the wolf. Uh yeah, each yeah. of the witchers uh comes from a different school, by the way, and they have different fighting styles and shit like that. Um and 
so the the question that but rpgs are very much tabletop rpgs are very much about the ensemble like you cannot really like if you're if you're doing like we we do have rpgs that do one-on-one stuff one gm and one player you know like cthulhu confidential but those are very much the minority the majority is like you get like three to four of your friends together and you all go out and all your characters go out to do something um and Mm -hmm. so the question is then yeah and gerald does have friends and allies who help him at certain stages but not often uh at least in the video game and so the question is when the the story the narrative the setting has been structured to suit the journey of a solitary hero as he goes through all these adventures how do you reshape that to be an ensemble of heroes who are all comparable ability uh at least in different ways and um how do you make that satisfying and i think this game tries to do that um and i think i I mean we'd have to play the game to really i mean reading the book is one thing and making characters is one thing but like we we can't really tell for sure until we play at least one game of it uh and we're probably right at some point but um i feel um they 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 certainly do that so um in terms of characters like for example they have 10 different classes of characters i think it's 10 uh or 10 professions um yeah uh, let's see do 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 uh four sorry eight maybe seven or eight Six, i think eight nine ten uh eleven okay. actually eleven including the witcher oh, um fancy. so yeah <laughs> so each of these um professions gets a unique ability a unique uh, with three, which I think is a sort of interesting innovation over the Cyberpunk toy and the uh, Cyberpunk 2020 system, which uh, in Cyberpunk 2020 you actually had a similar setup with you know X number of professions. Each profession had a unique ability. For example, solos had combat sense, and they were mm-hmm. really good at you know uh, detecting danger and shooting first. Uh, and obviously, net runners had hacking, which no one else did. Um, and but in this case, you get a you get you know the bard's ability is busking, but then the bard gets three every every profession every unique profession skill gets three skills uh types uh to uh, a skill tree in other words uh to choose from you know the charmer the informant or the manipulator uh for the bard for example uh right and i don't know i i thought i think that's a pretty interesting choice and i do like that in the system um yeah i do think you have a lot of options to build different characters there's a lot more i think uh sort of subdivisions between characters than initially mm-hmm. apparent which sort of became uh clear as i was making characters mm-hmm. playing around with the, with the system yeah um i think there's probably i don't know how the uh, concerned they were about like interprofession mm-hmm. balance or how much it even matters you well, know it might be it like an irrelevant thing yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Like, like it doesn't matter that the craftsman is not as combat proficient as a witcher um, because you need the craftsman to make stuff to kill monsters anyway. So, yeah, I mean, kind of, um, kind yeah, of, I, yeah. I, I do have some things, interesting things. I mean, like the crafting system is really interesting, but like, I feel like it's kind of flawed because they just kind of have prices for all the items you can craft. So it sounds like mm-hmm. you can just craft items by paying. You can just buy anything you need instead of, you know, like the whole point of the crafting system in the video game was that you literally could not go out and buy these items. Like you just had to yep. fucking craft them because that was the only way you're going to do it. 
Um, because I remember in one thing I was like, I want this set of armor. So I'm gonna go fucking find all the goddamn diagrams and get all the goddamn ingredients. And, yeah, and yeah. the game, you know, tries to port a lot of that over, but it doesn't seem I don't know how much it actually matters. So there are diagrams, and it'll be like, oh, if you want to make uh, this armor, you need it's very yeah. like video gamey. It's like you need mm-hmm. three steel and one cotton and one leather and five thread, mm-hmm. and then you can make. But like you said, I think you can just buy. Well, I mean, they have a listed price for all the items, so it's like aside from yeah. the relics, which are unique magical items. Um, like every like, oh, I want a berserker's axe. Well, I could pay seven hundred to craft it. For just all the ingredients, or I could pay fourteen hundred to just own it, and I'm like, maybe I'll just buy it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then I don't need to waste any of my skill points or abilities to or time to fucking craft one. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think I, uh, this is all getting back to like. So I feel like they chose to do like people who like the video games who want to have a tabletop experience. That's not quite not identical obviously because you know video games are really good at certain things and not so good at others in terms of the rpg experience um like complex subsystems that go forever and um being able to hack apart 50 monsters and you know uh i'm just gonna wade through 100 monsters in this dungeon and gradually kill them all and heal up and kill more and heal up and blah 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 um so I feel like they were trying to do a reasonable facsimile. If you like, if you like those kind of things you do in the Witcher video games, here's the RPG to do them, uh, but yes. with a different cast. Um, but I don't feel like it's especially suited for what the setting is ostensibly about, which is you know these one. Well, it's like what is the hook for the Witcher for you? Um, for me, the the that sort of got the most interest for me was the investigation and the negotiation of being like monsters are like crimes that you have to solve. There's clues mm-hmm. to figure out what the monster is. And if you get the clues wrong, then you're going to be, you're going to prepare for the wrong thing. You're going to get fucking killed by the thing you're, you're trying to uh, stop. Um, yeah. So like the side quests or, you know, side monster hunting in the game has a very nice structure where you have a contract, you get a witcher contract that you go talk to somebody and like you said, you start to get hints of, oh, they have this curse or this hex, and oh, it's probably this monster. So I need to put this oil on my blade. I need to do this research to figure out how to kill it. Um, and there's not this in here, but not really like laid out in a clear way where I think players, especially one who maybe they don't play RPGs, they just got this because they like Witcher 3, mm-hmm. would be able to, to sort of realize that they can do that in this game as well. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I feel, and, and there are other things you could sort of let replicate in the Witcher setting. Obviously you could do games of politics and, you know, military and sort of, you know, the, the, the conquest of nations and, uh, or criminals or living as monsters, um, because there are intelligent monsters, which is, and, uh, you know, their own lifespan, which is sort of explored in some of the expansions of the video games, like the, uh, blood and roses, I think, uh, had a lot mm-hmm. to deal with blood that. and wine. Blood and wine, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, had to deal with yeah. vampires. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, there, there's a lot. Um, so, yeah, I, I I could see like an indie storytelling game aesthetic where you're like, this is this witcher's journey. Let's tell a story about what happens to this witcher as he walks the path, uh, which is mm-hmm. called their annual sort of cycle of, you know, 
uh, going around the countryside, killing monsters, then holing up for the winter in their traditional keep, uh, and on, you know, back and forth. So, um, but I guess we should get now a little more into character creation. Um, because sure. part of this, we, we sort of, uh, uh, we did, we, uh, you made two characters. I made one character, uh, mm-hmm. for the game. So how did you do Burke? What did you create? Uh, so I went through basically the steps as the book outlines them, where you pick uh, your race, and then uh, you go through. It has a life path, again, like uh, Cyberpunk, where you sort of roll on what sort of fortunes and misfortunes and, and events happen to your character uh, leading up to where the game starts. Um, and then you generate stats and buy skills and um, based on what profession you pick and go from there. So the first character I made was a witcher because, I mean, that's the mm-hmm. particular character. And I just wanted to see how they, they feel to make because they do have their own section. And I do get concerned whenever a game has a single kind of Mary Sue-ish special snowflake class. It's kind of the same issue I used to have with um, old Star Wars games and Jedi, where as soon as you introduce Jedi, you can very dramatically change a party dynamic as soon as you have uh one character that's like the highlight of the setting and only one PC gets to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to see uh, how they feel. So I made a Witcher. Um, There are racial perks. You can go through. I don't know how much you want to go through. uh, Yeah, you don't have to get into specifics. Um, They do. I do. I do notice like humans, you know, it's very typical stuff. Like their humans are in, have ingenuity and they, they, um yeah and they have these traits and they're they're uh elves are better marksmen and you know they're artistic and dwarves are tougher and witchers have enhanced <clears throat> senses and they they're immune to diseases dulled emotions because they've been tortured their whole lives yep. uh, yeah uh lightning so. reflexes cat-like reflexes um, um but anyway so witchers do have their own unique life path because the life of a witcher is that as a at some point in your early life, you are sort of whisked off to witcher school mm-hmm. and subjected to the the tears of becoming a witcher. Um, so you have stuff like, when did you become a witcher? You know, early childhood. What schools did you train in? And each school has various mechanical benefits. Um, so this witcher got the Griffin School, which is like magic. So you have plus two to kind of your magic stat, basically. Um, how did you do in your early training? Which also can have various mechanical benefits. Which I think I would, if I was running this, I would force everybody to roll. They say you can pick or roll, but I don't think I'd let people pick if people could just pick like plus one to all this stuff. Just me personally. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, I had a great. Oh man, I made so many. Allies. I was the best witcher ever. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I mean, it does have that kind of like min maxing thing where, like, oh, if you if you get to, you really do get mechanical like. I have seen, like, there's systems like Rain that have done random life path systems where every single thing gets you a benefit. So everything is balanced. It's just in matter, uh, matters of where. Uh, and this one, they're like straight up, you have some bad things happen to you, and it's, it, you make enemies or like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or you have siblings who want to kill you um, and that kind of thing. Um, this. Also, one thing they don't mention, like humans, it's easy. Like it's one in terms of, uh, well, we're talking about that's life events later on. But like um, the first thing is like, what happens to your family? What happens to your fate? 
uh, or what happens to your family, what happens to your parents, and stuff like that. But like, it's really easy to get stuff like yeah, min maxed here, and so that's kind of a concern if you want to have a balanced party, quote unquote. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that would only work if you let it happen randomly, and then if one person, I guess, happens to get a convenient combination, mm-hmm. um, sure. But it doesn't feel quite as fun as like Warhammer, where you can end up with really hilarious mismatches, where you're, you know, like a highly trained fighter, but you have no weapon skill, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah. It doesn't really seem like it swings that way. It's just you either get bonuses or you don't. I mean, some of them aren't just purely like role playing, like your most influential f- yep. friend. And what happens to your family and parental fate doesn't matter. It's just purely a role-playing thing. But your family status mm-hmm. determines like whether you get plus two reputation or plus one luck, you know, depending on how. You, or if you get acquaintances. Um, I mean, they're all benefits in that area, so I guess that's not too bad. Um, but yeah, it's really life events yes. where it starts getting really kind of unbalancing in terms of what it is. Also, yeah. they don't say like. Um, Non-humans in age, uh, they they um, non-humans are long-lived, assuming they aren't killed. They can live for hundreds of years if they aren't murdered, if they don't succumb to a disease or horrible accident. So it doesn't give you game line game terms of like how many times you should roll in life events. It's like once per decade, right? Yeah, for every ten years you mm-hmm. can live. But like, so for a human, that's like two or three, or if you're starting out character, usually maybe four. Um, but for an be like, yeah, I'm gonna roll thirty times. You fuck you. Um, and yeah, I'm going to pick you know. 30 times. <laughs> like, you can make, oh my God, yeah, let them pick it. And I was like, yeah, I'm 200 years old. I'm going to roll two, uh, 20 times. And I want 20 jackpots. I start with 10,000 gold, you know, 10,000 crowns. Wow. I also have plus 20 to my primary skill. Yep. Amazing. Yep. A witcher um, owes me. Uh, I've been knighted. <laughs> I uh, I had literally all of these. I have 20 fortunes. I was I'm the luckiest guy alive. And eight allies, yeah. and yeah, bound by bond, yeah, inseparable. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That they don't scale the life events to the lifetime of the. Well, they don't even give guidelines like um, for elves and dwarves, yeah. like how many times? Because those are valid options. Like, how many times are you supposed to roll for that? Like, I only rolled three for my elf character that I made because, like, I didn't want to fucking spend here forever rolling random events. But I don't want to roll ten random events either. And mm-hmm. alternatively, you can get really crippled uh, because you can literally lose permanent attributes or get cursed uh, mm-hmm. or haunted by the law or a number of really bad things can happen to you um, if you roll poorly on this. Um, and of course, then the there's a whole romance table, which is just role playing, but like... <laughs> you know, uh, I'm also wary anytime you kind of introduce romance as a mechanic... Yeah, in two games, that's uh, yeah, yeah, that's a little. It's very may prob- not end well. Yeah, it's very problematic when one of the tables is just whores and debauchery. It just meant yeah, you were yeah. you were just uh, you know uh, uh, on Tinder uh, the entire time. Basically, um, I don't know. Um, yeah. What are the thoughts that you have about it? About character creation? Well, about um, life events specifically. Life events specifically, yeah, I think I would need to make more characters to play around with it. I think basically my primary concern is just um, keeping the game balanced. But I do think that if you have a group that can handle it, there's there can be like a lot of nice role playing mm-hmm. sort of seeds that you can introduce later. So like um, 
the Witcher life path is a little different. One of the things you do is sort of how you lived your life kind of after you left the Academy, but leading up till now, because witchers are sort of ostracized from society. Like people are kind of scared of them because they're mm-hmm. this relic of a much more dangerous time that people don't think they need anymore, but you actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the outcome of kind of my wandering for this witcher was that they were involved in like a really difficult hunt that that's kind of left them uh, sort of scarred. So then you could have that monster kind of be a focus you know, like a Moby Dick type white whale mm-hmm. that that character can keep chasing and working towards properly defeating. Um, so there, there are nice little sort of motivation seeds dropped in there. If you mm-hmm. can, I mean, um, that, that is one of, on them. Yeah. That is one advantage for the GM is if you use this solely to help generate plot seeds for the adventure, instead of like, what am I going to do for my witch adventure? I'll be like, well, let's just find out how screwed up these guys and my, the players are. And then I'll just base it on them. <laughs> And yep. then we'll go from there. Um, so I uh, and I do like on the next page you have your personal style value, which is also pure role playing. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so yeah, it's just it's also I mean basically the same system as in Cyberpunk twenty twenty, which again is like you know an eighties RPG. So it's if you yeah. it's a very traditional kind of RPG, um, mm-hmm. as you can tell. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like it when you're reading it. And yeah. Kinda... Um, the style is very similar because they have two main texts of column and then just um, a side column sort of with little uh, uh, sort of side little bars that uh, can help pull you in or just have little mm-hmm. little, in, little interesting things. Uh, but sometimes <laughs> those are important this. mechanics. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, sometimes they're like major mechanics and they're not separately indicated. Mm-hmm. Uh so, like, a piece of text will be, oh, this has some effect, and it's like, oh, the effect is actually described in a sidebar on, like, a different page. But that's a, that's a whole other issue. But mm-hmm. um, uh, So, yeah. Um, so, there are 11 p- professions, each with their own special ability. I haven't read all of them in detail to see which ones, but mm-hmm. obviously some are more powerful than others. Uh, the Witcher, the Mage, and the Priest all get magic, yeah. which no one else does. Yeah. No, and um, the Witcher has a major gear advantage because a lot of the professions have a, a list of gear and it says pick five or pick some number from a list. And mm-hmm. for some people, it's a fairly list of common things. So my um, second character, just to jump ahead, was a, a human bard. Mm-hmm. And the gear I had to pick from is like a Gwent deck, which is like the big card game in the Witcher game. Um, a hand mirror, a dagger, a belt pouch. Those are like you pick from those. Um, but the Witcher just starts with like your Witcher medallion, two swords, potions and oils, armor. Um, so that's a little weird, uh, especially if you were to create a party without a Witcher, because um, if you play the games, you know you need a silver sword to damage a lot of monsters. Mm-hmm. So if you're not a witcher, a silver sword is extremely expensive and it's fairly deep into one, like silvering weapons is fairly deep into one specific tree of the craftsman. So <laughs> um, like witchers, witchers have a, a huge gear advantage, which is sort of weird. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Because um, uh, I don't think you can just buy a silver sword. I think it's one of the... Um, well, profession trees for a craftsman. 
Well, I think, um, I'd have to look through them, all the items, but like, it seemed that all the items you could craft had a, had an element cost, or had a, had a price, um, because, uh, where the, where the gear is described, you know, like, they actually have, uh, costs for everything, so, uh, let's take a look. Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah, so silver coating is the second tier for the improviser craftsman mm-hmm. skill tree. Yeah, but they don't have the Witcher weapons listed on it. So yeah, I guess yeah, the Witcher weapons are the only ones not listed on the uh, swords. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I guess those are the exception to it, and they're literally silver. Uh, they're literally unbuyable unless yeah. So you have to, so that's why you need them. Um, you, oops. Uh, well, they, let's see here. Yeah, and even in the Elder Folk Armory. Uh, well, they have the Meteorite Sword. Does that count as silver? I, I don't know if it counts as silver or if it's its own weakness counter. No. I think you'd have to look at the monster stats. It depends on... Yeah, I mean, uh, but I mean, it's, it is, it is, yeah. These characters are not balanced for each other in terms of raw, like how much money you start, what your abilities are, and things of that nature. So, um... So it's kind of like spellcaster supremacy in D and D, but even more exaggerated in some ways because you know the Witcher is and mages well, are obviously more powerful than anyone else, and uh, you don't have to wait until halfway through the leveling process for it to kick in. It's just yeah. at character creation. Yeah, but yeah, as long as you don't lose that one silver sword. Um, but then, of course, you generate your statistics, um, your your stats, and you can either roll D ten for each one, which is not recommended, or you can just get a pool of um, between 60 and 80 points and uh, there's nine attributes so you could put you know six in all of them uh, and then have six points left over to allocate and six is above average or you know slightly average um, mm-hmm. that's how I how I got my stats and then just kind of figure out <laughs> what you want to do um, or in terms and then you have to pick your skills uh, skill list is a little I felt kind yeah, of yeah. So there's some yeah. Uh, there's some stuff I didn't like about skills. So you have a list of sk- eleven skills based on your mm-hmm, profession. Uh, profession. You have your main skill and then ten others. And some stuff I didn't like is that um, you have was it like forty some points to divide 44. among them? I think forty four among yeah, eleven skills. Four so. in each. Yeah. Um, but some skills cost two, so you have to take that into account. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, they have the rule that you have to have a minimum of one in each skill, which I kind of don't like. I'd like to just have things that my character can't do. Um, uh, just personally. Um, well, it's also just kind of a weird way of soon. Just say they could, they should have just said start your, your skills all start at one. Your profession skills all start at one. You have 33 points to allocate between them. Cause that's what that's, it really is. Yeah. That would be a, yeah. 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 That'd be a good way to word it. Absolutely. Um, uh, and then, of course, you also have pickup skills, which you can put in anything, and that's just equal to your intelligence plus your reflex modifier, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, statistic, not modifier. Um, and yeah, I, I, the skills themselves are kind of, it's a very small skill list, uh, but like there still seems to be some uh, redundancy. Uh, there's a lot of redundancy. There's like three versions of melee. There's like yeah. swordsmanship, melee, and small weapons. Um, several different, yeah, there, there's different skills for different weapon types. There's also a courage and a resist coercion skill, uh, mm-hmm. which seems 
unnecessary. Like if you're courageous, you should be able to resist coercion. Or if you can resist coercion, surely you're, you've got some bravery. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess they think of it as like some supernatural fear of monsters. Like you're, yeah. they you stand also, up to that, but still. Yeah. Still. Uh, also in terms of their social skills, they have a charisma, um, a persuasion and a grooming and style, which elves all mm. get all elves are pretty like styling apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and then a seduct a separate seduction skill, uh, which is, oh man, no, yeah. don't, don't yeah, have don't. a seduction I mean, for the Witcher, yeah. Uh, there's also a human perception skill, which is literally just you know tell sense motive in other games, mm-hmm. um, which is Insight. also kind of human centric because there are elves and dwarves. Like, what about them and gnomes? Yeah, can you not read their emotions? Are they just so inscrutable? <laughs> or witchers? Bizarre. Witchers are considered uh, a separate species now. Remember, because mm-hmm. of mutations. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, I mean it's it's suit it's functional. It'll 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 again, but also like body physique and endurance. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's a little different because one is lifting things and one is just enduring things. Um, but yeah, it just it's, it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just some of it's weird the way it's, they chose to divide. things. I feel up. like this the Witcher especially. I mean, well. Again, I think part of it is because they're deriving from the cyberpunk system, which had a lot of different skills um, because it was a technological setting and there's a lot of different finesse between, you know, using a missile launcher and using a sniper rifle. Um, I Mm -hmm. feel like that distinction isn't as quite as clear between using a big bladed thing and a smaller bladed and a medium bladed weapon or a, you know, a. um, uh, I feel like. I mean, I don't see how they could do it with this current system, but like something like 13th age where you just get a plus in and then you just describe what it is. Like I'm a sailor. So mm-hmm. I'm plus three to anything a sailor can do. Um, yep. And then it's, it becomes a rhetorical thing for you to be able to justify it to your game master. I feel like that. that yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I feel like, but again, this is going to appeal more to traditional players who want a more, you know, like here are the skills. Um, so, yeah, and then of course, uh, like for example, one of the statistics um, in The Witcher is crafts. Your ability to use crafts and you know objects, which is obviously a substitute for tech uh, technology, which yep. is a, st- a statistic in Cyberpunk. Um, yep. And that's kind of the main part of. And then you have to buy your gear, but then that's that's you know you get a you you get some crowns to spend on whatever you want. Um, but that's sure. kind of the 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 basics of character creation. And of course, mages. Uh, can pick their spells. Witchers can pick what uh, formula they know for what items they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Um, I, I, the only other thing just to touch on real quick is there's also mm-hmm. a lot of derived statistics mm-hmm. where you, you compute things from other things. And I felt like that was sort of needlessly drawn out. A little um, that's okay. Like hit points being based on, uh, body yeah. and will makes I like I like that I think that's a good um, I agree I think it's more the way the information was presented because so you have like two hit point pools you have your hit points mm-hmm. which is your damage yeah that's lethal damage applies to that then you have your stun pool which is your mm-hmm. like non lethal sort of hit point reservoir 
I think it was just an issue in that a lot of it was all the numbers are related, but they have it all laid out on these big tables for no reason. Like your stun pool is always twice your hit points and your stamina is equal to your hit points and your recovery, which is how many hit points you get back, is always just a fifth of your hit points. Mm-hmm. And like they that could have just been written out instead of being all these big lookup tables for, for things. Mm-hmm. Um, it has separate punch and kick damage, which I'm not sure that's necessary. <laughs> other than to like always emulate kick. the game. It's, yeah, except... Yeah, always kick. Be, always just, kick. Always kick. Gives you a plus four damage. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah. It's uh, just stuff like that is yeah. No, that's fair. Kind of just makes it. It just makes it. It's obviously not a big deal, but it makes it feel more bloated than it really is, and mm-hmm. it just sort of sat. I don't know why it just sat wrong with me in terms mm-hmm. of like how to how to present that information. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot of stuff that I wish was abstracted mm-hmm. more than. Yeah. No. Um, and just to give you go back to, I found the difficulty uh, sort of examples. Uh, so mm-hmm. remember the the resolution is uh, a D10 plus your attribute plus your skill. So we'll say uh, if your attribute is six and your skill is three, so you have a plus nine to your roll, and so you always do easy because that's a DC 10 that that's breaking down a rotten door is their example. And then average is a 14. So you need five or better on a D 10, which well, that sounds yeah pretty about right. Challenging would be uh, DC 18. So you'd need a nine. If your, your bonus total bonus is a nine difficult would be hitting a chain with throwing axe at 10 meters. That's a DC 20 and then nearly impossible with DC 30. So um, it doesn't say anything about exploding dice. So you only get the D so you can only go up, 10 plus your your attribute plus your stat um yeah exploding only comes into combat yeah which uh you and then of course for leveling up i do like that they use a point-based system where you get like you know up to six experience points per night or improvement points sorry as they call them and Mm -hmm. spend them to improve individual skills or abilities you don't you don't level up your character per se it's just how many improvement points you've you've gotten um yeah it's like other systems like shadow run and stuff where you just buy more skill points mm-hmm. um it's pretty pretty bog it felt standard. like yeah i i was concerned it might be a little slow mm-hmm. in terms of how expensive stuff is yeah versus kind of how much you get per session mm-hmm. um which some people might like but i think i would prefer to be able to get something like every kind of other like every two to three sessions instead of kind of every five to seven uh, especially because you might not play that long so well it's six yeah it says up to six ip points uh per game session so um yeah that that's that's um yeah it's it's again in that traditional game mold where you're only supposed to be getting you're supposed to play the same characters for like a year or more for like 20 or 40 sessions which also is kind of mm-hmm. ingress with the lethality of the combat system but i think that's also how the cyberpunk system kind of worked um then then they have reputation which is sort of pretty much um, based on what the gaining reputation is totally left up the game master. There are a couple of things in your life events and other things that will raise your reputation. Uh, but it's one to 10, if they roll a D 10 then, and roll under your current reputation, they recognize you. Um, it's interesting that they actually do stat out the major characters of, uh, the Witcher series, Geralt, um, the Yennefer and yeah, all the, all his friends, um and they don't have reputation listed on the character sheets the example characters like we don't know what his reputation is 
Um, I guess just infinite. Everybody knows him. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I'm pretty sure the uh, game characters as statted are not actually achievable, like in any reasonable amount of play. Yeah, they're definitely like, I've been playing for 400. They just gave them stuff. Yeah, like his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just looking at Geralt. Yeah, uh, Geralt says his uh, reflex is 14, which, and the, <laughs> the your potential, like a Witcher can get up to 11 at character creation. So he had plus three reflex gains. Um, I mean, not all of his stats are. I mean, he's got low empathy, he's got low luck. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, he is a hoss. And then, you know, uh, skills up to 11, when, again, most people only get up to 10. Um, yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, not that it matters. They're just supposed to give you an idea and kind of get you excited about it. Cause you're like, Oh, I know who Yennefer is. I remember Zoltan and Dandelion. Well, also if you want to use Um, them in your game, um, probably a lot of people who want to play this are going to want to do that. Um, and let's see, then we, then we get into gear, just listening to what it is. Pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, nothing really to talk about there. Um, then we get into magic. Um, magic is uh, let's see. Well, they have the list of spells. Like you have a a vigor attribute, uh, which represents how how easily you can cast spells without getting exhausted. Uh, and then they have different spells for their minor, journeyman, and major and master spells. Um, pretty small spell spell list. Um, I, I skimmed them. I didn't really see anything. Uh, I mean, pretty D&D-ish in terms of all. You have your healing spells, your damage spells, your, you know, paralyze people and mind control them. and mm, uh, Elemental damage yeah. and... Things of that nature. It doesn't really explain how to use the rules. That's more in combat, isn't it? Um, they do. I do like that they have curses and uh, rituals and hexes. Um, yeah, and the curses are actually pretty funny, and because um, mm-hmm. so you can be cursed, and then you have to undergo like a specific set of actions to remove that curse. And they actually went pretty silly with it, where in a good way, where it's like a ridiculously convoluted. Mm-hmm. You have to like rub pig's blood on yourself while singing under a fig tree at the high moon <laughs> on the first month of autumn. It's like it's like literally that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, plot seed kind of stuff easily, although starting characters can start with hexes. So like, uh, they can, they can put this on NPCs or other player characters. Um, so I think, yeah, you can get, you can definitely get some fodder as a GM out of those. Uh, the rituals are pretty standard, like, you know, far scene kind of thing. See what's happened in the past or what's going on right now by staring into water or to fire, um, healing people, increasing your magic. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's just, um, and then of course creating golems, you know, standard, standard wizard stuff. Um, it's very wizardy. It's It's very very... wizardy. (laughs) Uh, and then the crafting system, um, which is very derivative of what it is in the, uh, video game system. Um, although, yeah, it's, uh, the way I thought about it is it's, it's simulationist, but not simulationist for being a crafter, but for playing the crafting system in Witcher 3. It's yeah. just sort of that ported over. It's basically, yeah, if, do you, one, do you have the, the, the instructions on how to do it, the formula? Uh, if you don't, you can't do it. Um, you can't... Uh, 
Let's see here. Actually, it says oh, having the physical diagram in front of you grants you a plus two to your bonus. I guess if you've read it, then you don't need to have the physical diagram there to remind you. Then you have to have the ingredients, and then you just make a skill roll. And then you need to have... Um, and then if you fail, you can make a check to recover your ingredients um, to try again. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it seems most things are going to be able to... Um, buy i mean a lot of most of the weapons at least the standard weapons and uh armor were even things like the berserker's axe and the crystal staff and all these other things um but yeah things like silver weapons and not even uh, sure you would survive long enough to be able to buy some of these things if you don't get them yeah pretty quick yeah if you're facing monsters like everyone needs to have a silver weapon or at least all the people like or magic like that's the only really way you can hurt them uh, for a lot of these creatures. Um, but the, and then of course you can't really buy a lot of the alchemy things, you know, the, the, the bombs and potions, but again, most of these potions are only usable by, uh, witchers. So, uh, I mean, obviously anyone can throw a bomb, but like, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. And then of course they have the components you can get from monster types of monsters and types of areas. Um, and yeah, so kind of basic and kind of, I don't know, like also gr- the grinding, getting all these ingredients and stuff like that. It doesn't seem like a really fun tabletop experience. Oh, you need four extra cotton to make the thread, yes. to make the thing, you know. I was thinking uh, about that because they talk about that in the book where they're like, oh, you know, don't be afraid to have a exciting session where the characters just have to get the materials necessary to fight the monster next session. And I feel like if I was in a game that was just going out and like picking berries for an alchemy potion, I don't know. I don't know if I'm coming back next week. I'm going to go do something else. I feel like if they had sort of abstracted it more to being like, if this was like a Powered by the Apocalypse game and you just made a roll and be like, all right, in order to do the thing, you have to go, what you, what's the ingredient you need? And like make it a quest and then let the players come up with like, they need one thing. And they make it, oh, well, it's the, the breath of an air elemental. Okay, well, that's fucking hard to get. How are you going to get that? Okay, well, we'll go mm-hmm. to the, the, the windswept, windswept cursed caverns of uh, Dwinar. And so that, that becomes an interesting adventure where you have to go and gather a rare and magical thing. But yeah, just sure. getting like lit timber and iron or steel and combining. That's, that's what I was thinking. It, yeah. it does. It feels like Minecraft sometimes yeah. where it's like. Yeah, get three wood, two steel, two leather, no, four thread. Um, it also five seems bones. Like, yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff is is unnecessary, at least in terms of the you absolutely need it to get a month to kill a certain monster. Um, in, uh, in terms of having like an interesting game, like an actual really interesting approach would be doing something like, um, like maybe like Blades in the Dark, where it's okay, you're staring down the griffin, and you know to kill a griffin, you need this oil. How did you get it? Oh yeah, like, there you wh- go. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a flashback type mechanic. Mm-hmm. That would um, be good. And then just get on with killing the griffin because that's what people want to do. Mm-hmm. They want to they want to chop its head off and put it on their horse bags. Yeah, but I feel you went to like there's something like the idea is interesting, but like it's partially undermined because you can buy most of the items. They have costs, so it seems you can buy a lot of the weapons and armor at least. Um, and for the stuff that you can't buy, like. 
it's either going to be beyond starting characters to craft immediately, like silver weapons, because they have to go so far down in the crafting subtable that, you know, um, yeah, even if you had a min-max crafter, it would take him at least a couple of sessions to gain enough improvement points to get to that point. Um, in which case, you know, how, how'd you get to that point if you're, you know, killed by monsters already? Or you just all be witchers. Like, you know, they want you to. Yeah. So, another part is, of course, then combat is super deadly. Um, yeah, and also super complex. Critical. Yeah. <laughs> it is complex, but it does have crit tables. Yeah. Which I am a fan of, but we can get into that. Um, uh, uh yeah, combat uh, begin the basic thing the the basic basic version of it is that you roll an attack versus an opponent's defense roll and whoever gets mm-hmm. higher wins. But then the more you mm-hmm. succeed by, the more damage you do. And then there's a lot of and then you have to choose you have to roll for hit location, you have to choose for um like what type of critical it was if you do re- roll really well. Um yeah, you have to choose whether it's a fast strike or a strong strike. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. The first time I read through it, I sort of flipped through, and it seemed pretty straightforward. You know, like, oh, you pick your fast or strong attack. That's probably mm-hmm. not necessary, but they're trying to do, like, the game. You can do a fast or a strong attack. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you sort of get through kind of the basics, and then it has in-depth combat. And then that's when it goes into, like, all of these subsystems of, of special attacks. Mm-hmm. And it has all kinds of stuff where to keep track of as a player where if you um, so the way armor works in the game is you deal damage and then armor subtracts from that damage and whatever is left over is what you take. But there's mm-hmm. stuff where like, if you take damage, then you have to mark off your armor, how much mm-hmm. your armor absorbs. So you have to keep track of all this stuff and then get your things repaired when you're done fighting, which um, is cool. I like the idea of, you know, your material, um, also suffering the effects of overuse in combat, but I wish it had been abstracted out into just like a yeah, like status. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, oh, you if you're about to die again, like in a power by the apocalypse game, you would just like oh, mark charge off armor, and when it's at five, you yep. need to repair it, or uh, or it's broken, so repair you get charges back by repairing it. Um, I think part of this may be just preference. Again, I, I'm refer- at this point, I'm not really. As, as much of a fan of of these kind of crunchy combat games, uh, especially if it's not a system that I'm really familiar with, um, I feel also like they also things like layering armor, um, and this is where I think the video game version of it does better because the video game obviously processes all this shit for you. Um, yes. So you don't have to. You can just keep clicking attack instead of having to figure out the the resistance rules for every single little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or like checking off damage to your weapon every time you block mm-hmm. and like stuff oh, like that, that is yeah yeah so weapons have a reliability quality which is like your weapons hit points mm-hmm. and it every time you successfully do a block action uh you mark off one Jesus. until your weapon breaks so there's like a lot of that type of stuff to keep track of um and then uh there's Various kinds of armor, and some of the heaviest armor absorbs like 30 or more points of damage per attack. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to do like a simulated combat of just two people in full plate and just see how long it takes them to <laughs> like whittle each other down, like just hitting each other with a longsword just to see 
how long that would take because I feel like that could get real stalemate real quick, depending. Yeah. I mean, also with... The I, critical, yeah. Okay. Again, this is all stuff you have to play the game to get a feel for it. You know, mm-hmm. it could just be overreacting and um, you obviously... I think have to play games to, to really understand how they work, but it's just sort of red flags of like, I could see combat maybe getting a little stale. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, we, we, we still need to play it, uh, at some point in order to sort of get a sense of it, but it does seem, it also, it's also a system that has critical hits and it, uh, when, if you, if you upgrade your critical hit enough, it's a deadly critical hit which mm-hmm. is probably going to kill you. Um, so let's see here. Beat defense. Yeah. If you beat the defense by 15, uh, which sounds like something you could do pretty easily if the defender rolls really poorly. Uh, yeah. Especially because in attacks, the 10 does explode. Yeah. When you crit. Yeah. So you can keep stacking. Um, especially also if you, hit location like the damage also scales with hit location so there's like an x3 modifier to damage mm-hmm. if you hit him in the head um so you could very quickly yeah and you can also lose like out. limbs even if you aren't killed outright mm-hmm. in which case in the world of witcher you might as well make a new character because um that doesn't says the arm can be <laughs> yeah. replaced with the prosthetic under dismembered arm but i'm like mm, can it though because uh, yeah. you're, you're not doing so well with a wooden arm or leg in the world of you know monsters and medieval style combat. Um, yeah, it's yeah, and like a, a lot of the crit stuff, even um, on the lower tables, still feels like it should just be fatal. Like given kind of the low tech medieval sensibilities mm-hmm. of the game, like torn stomach. Like, well, I feel well. A lot of those, I think, could be justified. Be like, um, someone. I mean, there are literally wizards who can mm-hmm. uh, magically just mend all that shit together. So, uh, if you have yeah, a friendly that's true. If you have on one, you, yeah, it just puts you in a it just heals you. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, definitely it. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, does mention here monster resistance, all monsters except wolves are resistant to steel and take half damage from steel weapons. So this is pretty big. So considering how common monsters are, um, Um, especially in a game where damage determines your ability to penetrate armor. So like that half damage is the difference between, you know, maybe with the steel sword, you chip away a few hit points around versus just being nothing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a good point too um, um yeah it, uh, and then we have of course the magic rules uh, magic is done by will stat plus spell casting skill plus a d10 so you could easily have a six, plus 16 year old the starting character uh so then let's see here but then you have uh the you use vigor to do that um I really would have liked a weird magic type table with like some backfires if things don't go your way. Like I think that would be like a wild magic. Just yeah, would be interesting. I guess there's not any precedent for that in the game, but as I'm looking at the book now, mm-hmm. I really would like a, a magic equivalent to all those critical tables of crazy stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it uh, seems like they can keep casting spells as long as they don't crit fumble things. 
Um, yeah. Do you it, is a fumble always is a natural one always a fumble or is it just? Uh, um, I believe so. Because it doesn't really say what a magic fumble is, unless it's a, yeah. So a one to six magic sparks and crackles, and you take one point of damage for every point you fumbled by. Well, that's the roll type. Like that's a, yeah. that's the outcome if you get a magical fumble. So like, how yeah, do you yeah, get yeah. a fumble? Is that a natural one? Um, yeah, anytime you roll a natural one on your magical attack, you must roll another d10. That number is your magical outcome. Okay. Yep. So, ten per- flat ten percent chance of always of you know causing, uh, potentially blowing yourself up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. magic is okay, but yeah. Yeah, ten uh, percent chance doesn't really seem to kind of mesh with the way like experienced spellcasters operate mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah. You know, like if Yennefer had a 10% chance of blowing herself up every time she teleported. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, that doesn't feel very good. Uh, they also have things like vehicle combat, which I find interesting. Um, or at least yeah, like a couple of sections on it, smaller section on it. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, combat just seems pretty country, pretty co- pretty violent. Um, so the game kind of discourages you from combat, but the whole game is sort of premised on a lot of violence in your game. So mm-hmm. um, I do remember earlier, back earlier in the character creation, says, "Oh yeah, make sure you have if your character dies, maybe one of your siblings can take over for your existing character." <laughs> uh, which is no, don't do that. Yeah. Just- my advice is don't don't do the replacement sibling. It's very <laughs> very high school. Yeah. Uh don't don't do that. You're you're yeah. better than that, people out there. Um uh, but don't forget verbal combat, Ross. That's also Is uh, it a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's at the end of the combat chapter. It's an oh, optional okay. rule for like arguing with people in politics. Oh yeah, here it is, yeah. Uh, including romance combat. So red flag, red flag. Yeah, not super great. Uh, they also have uh, optional rules for different types of vulnerabilities because there's actually uh, some monsters were only susceptible to meteorite steel in the novels, which is why I guess that explains why there's meteorite steel. Um, so yeah, yeah, stuff um, like torturing people. There's like rules for torturing people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's thematically appropriate for The Witcher, but... No, no, it is. It yeah. is. So then they have uh, a uh, pretty good section on the the major nations and factions of the setting. Uh, mm. What the world, what the, the central... Con- it's not the entire planet. You're just basically focused on this one continent. Uh, Called not, the uh, continent. Yeah, the continent. And uh, the, the not Europe, sorry. Uh, and then yes, they have it's not sh- Poland. Yeah, that's not Poland. Um, and then they describe all the major factions, uh, the witchers, the mages, uh, all the different cults, um, and religion, sorry. And uh, then basic um, GMing advice. It's uh, And then we get into the bestiary, uh, which I found pretty interesting because... Um, well, actually, no, that's a little further off. But, you know, campaigning, Witcher gear, mutagens, like, then relics. 
And then we get to the bestiary. Uh, bestiary is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Got pretty good illustrations for the most part. There were a couple that were um, oddly low res, uh, but yeah, yeah. There's some that look like like one twenty eight by one twenty eight. Yeah, like they've been look well, like JPEGs that were blown up. Yeah, in particular um, the uh, insect things, the Draga were pretty. Yes, low-res. yes, that's the one that that stood out to me. In Draga, sorry. Um, page 294, 295. Um, mm. But, like, again, it doesn't have a whole lot of... Like, they have common superstitions about each monster, and then Witcher knowledge about each mo- uh, monster, which only Witchers have... It's literally their special ability, Witcher training. Um, but, which, you know, is better than monster lore about the same thing. So, um, yeah, they... I don't know. Um, they don't really have a whole like. There's like I would have devoted a whole chapter on investigating monsters in in this RPG and like ways to generate clues or a system to generate clues for a monster. Something to mm-hmm. make sort of investigating these things more interesting or more give the GM more support to do this. Um, and I hope if they they continue this game line that they do like a supplement for that because I feel that's important. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty basic bestiary stuff. Um, and yeah. Um, and then there is a starter adventure, which is pretty much you are hired to do a thing and, uh, you're hired to kill a monster, but there's a plot twist. Then the Nurgle. Oh wait. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it feels, it's a very traditional game. Very much mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s, uh, very much in the cyberpunk, old school kind of uh, style, and it's it has useful world building material if you wanted to run this game. Uh, certainly if you were wanting to run a game in the Witcher setting, this would be worth getting just for the setting information, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's the kind of game that would support the kind of... I mean, if everybody was a Witcher or a Mage, I feel like you could do a game that emulates the Witcher at least with some with a couple of house rules. Uh, maybe give the player some more improvement points to upgrade their characters, and certainly hand out more improvement points uh, if you wanted a faster yeah. this game. And uh, but with that combat system being as deadly as it is, um, one hit from a bandit can end your character, even if he's a badass Witcher, unless he's you know in decked in a lot of armor. Uh, but even then, yeah, I don't know. And what, I don't know. It's weird because it has like all of the lethality of like Warhammer, mm-hmm. but without like the setting expectation to make that like interesting or fun because like your Warhammer is kind of the same way where you can just be some weird non-combat character and you just get thrust into a shitty situation and then you get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like the setting conceit in a way of mm-hmm. kind of like this gonzo weird grim dark world. Um, but I, I don't think that people who want to play Witcher want to do that. I don't think. Well, because the main thing in the Witcher is that you're the guy saving them from monsters. Like that, that that's the premise is that civilization is being threatened by these unnatural beings coming out of, you know, the primordial. Yeah, exactly. Darkness. There's, um, yeah, there's the point is to be a hero. Yeah, and, um, and it's hard to feel like one in like a hyper, 
hyper gritty. Well, not necessarily a hero, but like certainly a cut up well, of the average person, you know, and the way the game is structured, if you take something else, like you, everyone would have to know the system very well. And then like, do you have one person take that trap thing? Or like, I'll be the craftsman to make silver weapons for everybody. Or like mm-hmm. everyone, or just everyone's going to be a witcher or a mage. Um, and just ignore all the other professions, which, you know, because they can't, they, you know, a criminal might be helpful in the city, but he's not going to help you when a, uh, when you go between cities. Yeah. So you're going to go yeah. stomping out into the bog with yeah. you to hunt down a hag. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Neither is the bard. I mean, it also, um, yeah. Like what is, what is the point of being in the witcher setting? If you're not doing what witcher's doing, like what is it, is it that compelling as a setting that you want to do? A game about being small-time yeah. criminals, um, and so. and that can be that can also be really challenging for a GM. Is if you do have players that want to be all these different mm-hmm. roles that that don't necessarily coexist, how do you do that skillfully? Um, it's sort of a problem with like um, I'm thinking of like Shadowrun with implementing you know Deckers and Riggers kind of like seamlessly. Mm-hmm into your game because they might be just out piloting drones or just sitting on the matrix. And how do you combine all these different narrative roles in a way that's satisfactory for every player that they feel like they got to do the thing that they signed up to do. I think that can be challenging. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just feel like um, even like a game like Zweihander puts in a lot of work and like, here's a campaign frame or here are several multiple Multiple campaign campaign models, you know, you could set it in, in literally Warhammer, or you could set it in Roanoke, you know, or you could set it mm-hmm. here, and here are the types of things characters can do. Um, and the Witcher, I mean, I understand that, like, they undoubtedly they were working under a lot of restrictions from CD Projekt Red, like, you have to do it within this framework that we want, and, um, you know, not allowing for a more experimental game, but... Um, it, it's just it's a very conventional role playing game, and I, I mean, I, I yeah, yeah, and, and to be honest, when I got the Witch RPG, I'm not sure what I was expecting, uh, but I got a very conventional role playing game, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's still no not interesting, at all. Uh, interesting things about it, especially I, I think the thing I like the most about it is the skill tree system of the different crafts. I'm definitely going to look through those and um be that's the that kind of idea is very intriguing to me um what about you what, what was your favorite part of the game my favorite part of the game yeah. um i think just um the witcher is sort of my ideal fantasy like i don't really like high like high talking mm-hmm. fantasy or indeed, so yeah. i do yeah i do like the idea of having this low fantasy world to, to play around with. And, you know, maybe it would be interesting to do something that is, um, whenever you have like a licensed product, I like sort of stepping away from the license and just sort of exploring that world, but kind of away from what it mm-hmm. thinks you should be doing. So I do think there might be some interesting stuff with all these other criminals and craftsmen. Um, but that that's me personally mm-hmm. is just, it's nice that you have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is overall like a pretty straightforward system. If you did have somebody who was into the Witcher, um, you could at least get them up and running by just saying roll d10 and add these numbers mm-hmm. and just don't worry about all the specifics. So I, 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 th- I would say those two things, you know, from my standpoint is what I like to play is that I feel like I could play non-Witcher stuff in Witcher, which is kind of cool. 
And for just general players, I do think it would be easy to learn. Yeah. Um, um, I would definitely maybe also look into letting PCs... Like, there's also... Uh, one thing is the players do have a luck attribute, which allows them... Uh, some, I forgot exactly whether it gives them a flat bonus to rolls uh, when they spend it, or if they get re-rolls with it. Uh, let me check. But, like, maybe having a house rule to allow you to spend luck... Uh, for every point you use, gain plus one, but you have to choose... Yeah, so it gives you... Um, you can spend luck to improve your role, but like I would maybe like spend a point of luck to avoid to downgrade a critical hit that you received, mm-hmm. uh, or something like that to improve the longevity of characters, uh, to have a more interesting campaign, especially um, one that's going to uh, involve a lot of combat. Um, so, anyways, that's that's what we thought about the the Witcher, uh, or at least that's what I thought about the Witcher. Uh, Burke, do you have any? Yeah, and. Oh, sorry. No, I think I just want to sort of clarify that even though maybe I sort of sounded throughout it like I was kind of down on the system, I still want to play it. Yeah. I I still think it, it could be fun. Um, all the stuff we talk about, like tools we wish it had given the GM, I think those are things that as experienced GMs, we we know how to like manipulate mm-hmm. sort of lacking aspects of, of systems. I think I'm just disappointed, I think, if someone was just getting into the hobby because they liked Witcher 3 yeah. and they saw the game. Uh, I guess that's more where my disappointment comes from is helping those people get into a new hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I, I I think we should definitely at least do a one shot of it and mm-hmm. uh, see where it takes us. Yeah, definitely. Um, and when we get back, we will have shout outs. Hey. back and i don't know what music i'll put in there yet but maybe vaporwave maybe maybe not vaporwave maybe it's very on brand yeah well it is but i mean for this episode do you think dungeon synth would be good because that's a thing Mm, now i bet there's witcher witcher vaporwave i bet Uh, it exists (laughs) dungeon synth um Mm -hmm. yeah that's another thing so i'll just google witcher vaporwave right now uh, do it right now, right? The Live Witcher on three on VHS. Uh, all right, beautiful. Yep. Uh, well, that's on VHS. That's also just a screenshot. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So we're getting distracted. We need to talk about shoutouts. Shoutouts. Uh, shoutouts. Uh, so I'll go first. I've been playing some video games lately. Uh, nice. One I want to mention, and these are these are reviews. Um, they're not. Hundred uh, percent. One is a video game called Garage Bad Trip. Uh, it's out on Steam, mm-hmm. Switch, and I think the others. Uh, it's a top-down shooter slash melee thing, a little similar to Hotline Miami. Pixel graphics, kind of an '80s vibe. Uh, is it hyper violent? It is like, very. I'm... Yeah, it's very hyper violent. Nice. Um, you're not. Beautiful. You have a life bar. You don't. You know, and you can carry around health kits, so it's not one hit, one kill. Uh, and mm-hmm. you're shooting zombies and guys with guns and then robots and um, and the 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 story is weird. It's you're in an underground parking garage, but you keep going down. There's like this whole underground base underneath it, um, 
and you're trying to stop this mad scientist from releasing um, a thing that's going to end the world to turn everyone into a zombie or something like that. Uh, um, zombies. Yeah, and he is just an unlikable protagonist, um, and everyone in the mo- in the game is kind of unlikable. <laughs> and there's a couple sequences that are really annoying, um, like a quick time event kind of thing where you have to get a motorcycle over a gap, but you have to avoid all the obstacles or you won't go fast enough or you'll, you'll blow up if you hit those red barrels. Uh, oh, it's um, battle toads. Uh. Yeah, it's very, it's it kind of, it's fortunately I got through it, but like I did beat the game. Um, the last boss is really annoying. Um, and it's it the basic gameplay is fun especially in the first few levels when you're shooting zombies and blowing them up and but it just gets frustrating at times when you get to a robot factory full of robots and it's just weird you know metal corridors and robot factory things it's just like well i i just i don't know it was five it was five or six hours that I played and I had fun, but th- oh, by the way, this is a review copy that I received for free. <laughs> uh, no, um, so yeah, if you get it on sale for a couple bucks and you like that Hotline Miami kind of, well, it's not Hotline, just top down, like it, mm-hmm. it, it Smash TV and those kind of things. Um, I mean, give it a shot, but I definitely would not pay full price for it. Um, is it on Steam then? Yeah, yeah, it's on Steam. That's how I play. Okay, yeah, so, just you yeah. know, fall sales coming up. Keep yeah, an eye but, out for it. Uh yeah, wait wait for a sale. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did play. I didn't quit it. I did beat it. I did like it enough to to finish the game. So take that for what you will. Um, that does actually mean something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Burke, what about you? What's your first? Channel? Uh, so first, um, is Channel A reprint, which mm-hmm. is currently on Kickstarter. It's a party card game where. Uh, you pitch basically ridiculous anime plots to each other. Everybody gets a hand that has uh, various just single words on it, like robot or samurai or moon or sakura or just letters like R and Z. And then one person draws premise cards, which can be like ninjas and cat girls or harems <laughs> or whatever. Um, and based on the premise and the title cards in your hand, you pitch an anime with some title and you give like an elevator pitch and then everybody votes on the best one. It's super mm-hmm. fun. Um, I got to play it for the first time at, at Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been out of print for a long time. So this is a reprint Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have developed a web tool so that you can just play online. It just procedurally just generates. It just deals out a hand to everybody. Um, and then, yeah. So if you want to check it out, the uh, technical difficulties did an actual play of it that went up earlier this week. Um, so check them out and uh, listen to them have fun playing it. It's it's a really fun game. It's on Kickstarter. It's only thirty bucks. I recommend it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I just want to say, yeah, I backed the original Kickstarter. I lost my copy. Mm-hmm. Someone stole it. Oh from no, Gen Con or took it away without realizing Ooh. it was mine. Because um, I did back the original Kickstarter, but it's yeah. it's probably the best party card game that I've ever played. It's better, far better than Cards Against Humanity. Uh, better than Joking <laughs> yeah. Hazard. Um, it can be as, as innocent or as filthy as you want. Um, which, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I don't even really watch anime yeah, and like, I yeah. could, I still got into it. I've just, yeah. you know, enough of the tropes that you can kind of make fun of. Uh, I mean, those tropes have infiltrated mainstream society at this point. So yeah, it's, it's exactly. Hard to avoid exactly. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a so, lot of fun. Yeah. Sorry. 
Yeah, it's like an anime version of what's the game um, by the rights. It's oh yeah, yeah. It's similar to that if you've played that. It's yeah, Tom Tom okay, played so. that in the last episode. Okay, um, cool. So yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of fun. I hope it I hope it succeeds. I backed it. Um, so yeah, same. Next one is another video game, Lovecraft's Untold Story, which is currently in early access, and I did get a review key from the developer. So fair warning. Um, it's a roguelike top-down shooter. Uh, pixel graphics where but it's set in the 20s and you're dealing with cultists and shoggoths and uh you know um start spawn of cthulhu and that kind of thing and it's early access right now so the way but there is some progress saved um the way it works right now is you start as a detective and you go into a mansion and the mansion is procedurally generated uh so the layout changes every time you you do and you're looking for items um and you go around shoot fortunately you have unlimited ammo with your gun so i guess the closest would be something like enter the gungeon or binding of Mm -hmm. isaac um and you're just shooting monsters and finding items until you get to the boss kill the boss proceed on the next stage in between levels you go to see the strange place which is this yithian chamber where you can store objects between runs and like go to different areas um and then, so I've only gotten to the hospital, the second area, and the second area uh, right now is really hard uh, because it's a, at Herbert West Hospital, and so there's lots of zombies, and for some reason, Migu as well. Um, but the real problem for me is that the boss, this guy, uh, giant abomination that runs around, has two forms, and I've killed the first form, uh, but then the second form kills me, um, and that's really fucking annoying. Um, <laughs> and, um, because like you get healing items, but healing items do healing over time. So you can't, even if you have a ton of healing items, you can only heal so quickly and mm-hmm. that thing can just fucking destroy your health really quickly. Um, oh, also no. you, you, there's no real upgrades to your weapons. You just, you can get different weapons. You know, you start with a shotgun but then you can get, you know, a Tommy gun or a Winchester rifle or a, a police action shotgun and um, you can't really upgrade them. So it's so it's like Binding of Isaac or Enter the Gungeon, but there's not a lot of mm-hmm. cu- ways to customize your character build or at least randomize it. You, you're, 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 um, there's two types of currency, money and information um, and the information you or, or clues or I think it's called. Um, and you both spit, but there's different stores that you spend them in. So they're just currency. They don't improve your character, um, except through the items you can get. Um, so it's early access. Uh, I had fun with it for a couple hours, at least. I, I hope they fine tune the balance. Um, they, there's more unlockable characters. Uh, you can get, I unlocked a professor with some sort of mad scientist gun, uh, you know, nice. and, um, so it, it has a lot of potential. Uh, I just kind of hit a wall and I just hope that the developers listening to this, that they give us more options to customize our character. Um, because I feel like, you know, when you watch Binding of Isaac, like the guy gets certain items, uh, certain combos of upgrades, make his character very powerful. Um, and also make the, lets the game play differently. But in this one, you don't really have that at least right now. Uh, if you're the detective, you're the detective. Like you don't really have a, mm. uh, uh, flexibility. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's still in early access, so they're still upgrading and improving. There's still yeah. time. There's still, still time. time. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So uh, what's your uh, next shout out? Uh, next up, moving to the realm of television. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really enjoying the first season, <laughs> the inaugural season of uh, Castle Rock on Hulu, which has been airing over the summer. And the first season's just sort of wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. Um, general premise of the show is that it's sort of like a mystery, sci-fi, psychological horror, weird town. Mm-hmm. Um, just set in the general Stephen King multiverse, we'll say. So it's not based on any specific story, but it has lots of little Easter eggs. Um, Like the central sort of conflict takes place in and around Shawshank, set in Maine, of course, Castle Rock, Maine. Um, And just really well shot, um, really nice pacing, uh, a lot of really great performances. Uh, Andre Holland is the lead, um, who uh, sort of rose up with with moonlight a couple years ago he's he's really good as as sort of the protagonist and then there's just a lot of really awesome performances from people like sissy spacek and and scott glenn as sort of town folk and and whatnot um so i i I really recommend it it's if you're into kind of that that stephen king world i think uh it's at least worth checking out yeah yeah yeah, yeah, for sure um speaking of television or streaming uh because it's not it's not really on this is on hulu yeah Whatever. Um, I can put on, it on a television. <laughs> you can. Uh, on Netflix, they have a show called Glow. Gorgeous Ladies First mm. Uh I just finished I finished season two a little while ago. Um, and we haven't talked about it on the show, weirdly enough. And it's a great show. It's, a, it's one of those dramedies that's mostly comedy, but there's some drama in it as well. Uh, it takes mm-hmm. place during the 80s, and it stars Alison Brie, um, I believe, as the struggling actress who signs up to become a uh, wrestler, a lady wrestler on late night TV. And uh, Mark uh, Marin is the director, uh, the very grumpy, you know, burned out kind of cynical director. Uh, it's got a yeah, great yeah, cast. Yeah. Um, there's like a dozen lady wrestlers in it. They're all fleshed out as interesting characters, especially by season two. Um, there's a lot of interesting arcs. There's this whole friendship enemy thing between, Alison Brie and her former best friend because Alison uh, uh, slept with her husband uh, causing a divorce and yeah. Uh. And, but they, they're both in the same wrestling show. So, um, and drama, it is very dramatic. Um, and yeah, it's got great eighties music and it's pretty, it's been pretty great. Um, um, so I haven't actually gotten to to watch that yet. It's been on my list. Does it lean heavily on like eighties nostalgia, or does it just happen to be the eighties? It happens to be the eighties. I mean, they they play right. songs on occasional, but it's really the strength of the characters. Um, like, okay. What, one thing that's really interesting to me is they really emphasize the economic um, precarious precarity. I guess uh, the the precarious nature of their economic situation, not just of the main oh. character, but of everyone, because they're doing they're they. They're making very little money, and most of these people are doing it because they need the money. And like things are always very dicey, even up with the producer, like whether they're going to stay on the air or not. No. Well. A lot uh, of down and out folks, and yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's just yeah, down and out. Yeah, it's very it kind of it's like a red market. kind of you know we gotta <laughs> we gotta we gotta keep on keeping on. Um, so what you're saying is you need a red markets worldwide wrestling crossover. Oh, I think that would be pretty amazing. I mean. The you economics of being like a low tier. Like there would be some form of professional wrestling in the red markets world. Like you have to pay upkeep on your knees. 
Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's like it would probably be in the recession, but like that would be they would people need entertainment, and like uh, wrestling's pretty cheap to put on if you don't give a shit about what happens to the wrestlers. You know, if they have to take yeah. care of their own injuries, if they don't have to pay their, if you don't pay it for their medical bills, <laughs> you can always get some young That's idiots uh, willing to risk life and limb to get the roar of the crowd. Um, uh, Is there no employee insurance in the loss? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, no. There's no, there's no employee <laughs> so insurance much. in the recession, let alone the loss. Uh, That's true. A, a special latents only league where they have to, <laughs> they're literally in a cage and they have to fight around casualties that are all biting at them. So, oh, yeah, latent make them wrestle a vector or something. Mm, that might be a little hardcore because yet remember vectors are fresh. That means someone just died for that show. That's a little yeah, less. But- yeah. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> something to think about. Um, let's see. Do you have any uh, more? You had another shout out. Yeah, yeah. I had one other. Yeah, yeah. Just um, continuing on with just recommending games. I had a chance to uh, read Scum and Villainy on a very long flight, which is a system based on Blades in the Dark, but mm-hmm. set in space where you play um, grimy criminals trying to make ends meet in sort of the outer rim, roughly, of a, a galaxy, mm-hmm. sort of on the edge of society. And um, I just, I really like the system. Um, I think you can do a lot of interesting stuff with it because it's, um, like I said, it's very grimy. So you can really hit players with hard consequences for the, you know, really make them feel the difficulties of kind of scraping by a, on a life of crime. Um, so it has a lot of stuff of like keeping your ship up and keeping your politics in line and being able mm-hmm. to uh, get the right gear for the right job. It, the, the, it's like Blades where you just um, you do a job and then you have sort of free play between jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think you could run a really interesting short campaign of sort of a, a group of criminals trying to get by. Yeah, uh, I actually have plans to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, something we're for. I have uh, two but more. It's... Oh, so sorry. Go, go for it. Yeah, go for it. No. Um, I have two more shout outs real quick. Uh, one is babbling corpses, the vaporwave and the commodification of ghosts, uh, which is a book about vaporwave. It's a short book. I'm into it. Um, it's a critical analysis of it. It's got some interesting connections between it. Uh, it's a critique of capitalism, uh, and the theory of hauntology, um and which is a whole thing and uh yeah so it's it's if you want to understand what vaporwave is all about you should read this book um sounds like a book for everybody yeah well everyone should know about vaporwave so yes um agreed (laughs) uh and finally then of course i want to give a shout out to xcom war of the chosen expansion for xcom 2 um i finally beat it uh although i did also install a mod list of 176 mods uh on through, through steam workshop um using i've watched the videos of uh christopher odd he's a youtuber let's player and basically okay. um he was doing the hey let's play xcom 2 with all these mods and i'm like and then there's like a one button subscribe to this collection of mods and then you're you're it automatically downloads and installs all of these mods um, a lot of them are cosmetic, like you can play with Ghost in the Shell, like your char- you make your characters look like Ghost in the Shell characters, um, and voice lines, like a timing will sell a voice pack, um, or characters from Red vs. Blue, or any number of things. Um, 
and then but there are there are gameplay infecting ones like i i saw ones that added a bunch of new tougher enemies to the game uh late late game enemies like mm-hmm. the gatekeeper there was the rift keeper who was an asshole uh then yeah there's there were just uh so many asshole enemies and then it, it especially modifies the last mission of the game to be about eight times as hard as it should be um it just <laughs> yeah it was ridiculous instead of like Average mission for me was like 40 minutes. The The last mission took me like four hours because there was just so much to slog through. Uh, uh, yeah, but I need it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the game still runs okay with that many mods? Like yeah. It's, yeah. Oh. Um, I, it's pretty... It's I, a pre- I, yeah, sorry. I, no, because I, I think of like... You know, I used to do modding for like Fallout mm-hmm. New Vegas and stuff, and I don't think I could put 175 mods and still have... Uh, yeah. Um, it even load yeah but a lot i mean because again a lot of them were cosmetic or minor mm-hmm. gameplay and, he, and a lot of them were just adding new enemies like variants of the viper you know instead of just vipers there was mambas and cobras and boas and flaming vipers and stuff like that uh that had different abilities but we're all basically the same character model but with a different you know just the the flaming viper was red instead of green you know uh i see so, okay yeah it was a lot of them are pretty like low resource requirement. So, um, and yeah, so a lot of them were, uh, obviously use at your own risk. Um, there were a couple of crashes, uh, that I had to fix well, a couple of things. Like I had to go into the dev one time I had to go into the developer console to fix, uh, because an enemy spawned out of bounds of the map, but it was there so I could see it, but I couldn't reach it with any characters. So I had to open the developer console to teleport a guy, right onto his little space so he could kill him oh. um and uh, but yeah it's 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 fun and even if you don't have the mod well get some mods at least there's a ton of really cool mods in the steam workshop for the game so um yeah that's awesome yeah uh it's definitely fun uh and then finally of course we have an anecdote um uh, and not really anecdote really because we've been doing campaign prep or i've been doing campaign prep for two campaigns that i'm going to be running for rppr hopefully we'll finish them i'll be able to post them um one is going to be scum and villainy which we're going to do uh the campaign prep for tomorrow uh or at least as of this recording so um hopefully we get a good game of that uh but i'm also doing unknown armies a mini campaign um and unknown armies we're doing one uh, the theme is on treasure hunting because there's a long and rich history of weird ass treasure hunts that are connected to the occult. Um, you know, especially with like secret societies and ancient and Atlantis, you know, and shit like that. So things like the money pit on Oak Island, um, which is uh, literally like, oh, Captain Kidd buried it. Uh, he hid the gold of the Freemasons. I mean, the Illuminati. Um, and people have been trying to dig it up for centuries and never found it of this tiny ass island in Nova Scotia, um, to, uh, the thrill of the chase, this rich guy who buried a bronze chest full of supposedly of gold and jewels and hid it somewhere in the Rocky mountains, like a hundred thousand square miles. And then he published a poem, uh, to, uh, that supposedly reveals its location um and so tens of thousands of people have tried to find it um and he's alive he's he's done it so um anyway so taking on these um so basically i instead of doing the standard unknown armies campaign creation thing i said your goal is to find this mystical treasure or this treasure uh, mm-hmm. and it's buried in the mississippi river and 
there are, there's there's four tasks for it. Uh, one, you have to find a treasure map, the treasure map for it. Uh, then two, you have to summon an angel to bless a dowsing rod. Uh, then you have to get a ship uh, because it's on the Mississippi River. And only then can you actually find the treasure. Um, that seems like a lot of work. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a treasure. I mean, it's buried yeah, by yeah. Uh, Koya Amaru, the pirate queen, who I uh, figure I made up. Supposedly a pirate queen in the Golden Age of Piracy who uh, was the, a descendant of uh, Tupac Amaru, the last Incan leader, um, who was, you know, of course, uh, executed by conquistadors eventually after he led a rebellion that lasted decades. Um, so anyways, Koya is supposedly descended from that, supposedly became a great pirate, and then sailed up the Mississippi somewhere to bury the treasure. Um, so we have four players for that. Uh, David, Bill, uh, Greg, uh, who's from the Grapevine, a couple of RPPR one-shots, and then Caleb. Uh, Caleb has not made his character yet, but we have David, who's playing the Vestamancer. Uh, clothes make the man. Okay. Uh, and the man, you know, that magical man. Uh, Greg is playing the Dipsamancer, which is where booze makes you magical. Uh, you, you have to be drunk in order to have magical energy. Um, and then... Uh, Bill is making up a new adept uh, uh, school, and I'm helping him. We're writing it together called The Phonomancer, which is about the power of voice. Um, uh-huh. And he has to record his voice 24 7 in order to, uh, or that breaks his taboo. So we're working on that one. Um, I'm not sure what Caleb wants to make, but uh, we'll have that session. We did, char- we, we did character creation for the most part, um, and we'll do campaign um, starting soon. Hopefully, and very cool. That, yeah, that's something to be aware of, to something to be on the lookout for. So hopefully, Keep it an eye out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, this has been RPVR episode one fifty nine, uh, the Witcher RPG breakdown. Uh, I'm Bruce Payton. Uh, say goodbye, I'm Bert. Burke. Yeah. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Later. Bye.